Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is made possible with the support of Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotelconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. Way back, in between all the passenger airlines he worked at along the way, he did a brief stint at UPS. I wonder nowadays if he wishes he had just stayed in the cargo business, considering the way things are in the world now. We'll have to ask him that. He's Ben Baldanza, former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. Well, what I'm wondering is if he still votes in the largely uncontested District of Columbia or now votes in the highly contested Pennsylvania. He's Seth Kaplan, NPR's here and now transportation analyst. Yeah, we are residents in Pennsylvania, so we we registered here. It was easy to do when we got our driver's licenses, and I think this is how it is most places nowadays. They just asked if if if, uh, if, if they wanted you to register to vote. But uh, but yeah, having uh, you know one of my past lives was working in election administration, and I know you know people say, oh, I want to vote here, I want to vote there. It's just it's where you live is 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 uh, is is where you vote. Pushing back from the gate, this is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. Today, is Southwest about to do the unthinkable? And no, I'm not talking about bag fees. Plus, it's time for some heavy metal. But is it too heavy? First, though, let's prepare for takeoff with this week's news. Ben, I want to start with a quick air travel demand check. The Wall Street Journal had an article with the headline, Airlines' new pricing strategy, buy one, get one free. They talked about a number of promotions our listeners are probably familiar with around the world of airlines literally giving away seats. You know, two people buy a ticket and get the whole three seats in the half row for free, that kind of thing. It's happening everywhere, from an upmarket airline like Alaska to Ryanair in Europe. And although this wasn't the main point of the article, they mentioned there are some surprisingly cheap deals out there, even for peak day holiday travel. Now, look. We know things are bad. We know COVID-19 is spiking really around the world now. We've talked in recent episodes about how maybe demand doesn't fluctuate as much week to week as it used to earlier in the pandemic based on pandemic news. You know, a bad headline doesn't cause demand to fall. A good headline doesn't cause it to surge. But where, Ben, is the sentiment meter right now? Is it Better or worse than, let's say, as October began a month ago? I would say, Seth, it's sort of frustratingly the same or maybe even a little worse. And that largely comes from the fact that it's still difficult to think about what are you going to do when you get off the airplane. Now, we're coming into a holiday season where most likely – If people were going to travel, they'd be going to see family and such. But then it brings out, you know, maybe you have young kids and you're going to see older adults and that makes you uncomfortable. Or you're going to New York and would have to quarantine or now have this incredibly convoluted test out plan that New York just uh, released Um, or something like that. And so I really think it comes down to, well, maybe I'm comfortable getting on a plane. In fact, there was an article 
or a story about a Harvard report this week, I'm sure you saw, Seth, that said flying on an airplane is actually safer than going out to buy groceries. Yeah. And so maybe the getting on a plane is less of an issue now, but where am I going to go is still a really big issue. And holiday time only complicates that some because it brings about, well, is it okay for me to be with my family, given maybe age differences or other things like that? I think you're absolutely right. And I've had this discussion with with friends and family where I've said, you know, when it comes to should I fly somewhere, I say, look, the decision is whether to travel. And by the way, what you mentioned about New York, yeah, I, I've seen friends online saying, hey, I'm, I've changed my plans. I was supposed to go to New York. I'm not doing that now. Uh, I mean, look, things are bad. You you can understand why the states are doing these things. But anyway, that that's clearly impacting demand. Anyway, yeah, family, friends asked me, uh, you know, should I fly somewhere? I said, well, the, the question isn't should you fly somewhere? It's should you go somewhere? And that is a personal choice. I mean, sometimes it's it's not even a personal choice. You have to, if you're going to go somewhere, you have to quarantine or do whatever else it is. And so you have to decide whether you're willing to do that or not. But it, it, when that's not the case, you know, you have to decide whether you want to be in that place, whether you want to expose yourself to all of that. And look, this is a serious pandemic. I mean, this, this is real. People are really dying. Uh, on the other hand, uh, everybody has their own situation, their own reason for going someplace, their own sort of risk profile for themselves personally. And as you said, other people in their families are going to be around. But I say, you know, the one thing you shouldn't think about is like, should I drive instead of flying? Uh, at least from my perspective, it's do I want to be there? Can I go there? And then I, I, I've just, you know, you, people could disagree about the details of exactly how, fly, how safe flying is. But I've just seen nothing that suggests to me that I would rather be on a long car trip, uh, being around all the different situations that come up in public restrooms and all the rest of it than being on an airplane to that same place. That is, I, the to, one I totally thing. agree with you, Seth. And yeah. So totally decide what, yeah, I don't blame anybody right now for saying, I just don't want to travel. Uh, look, if the world stopped traveling right now, completely, there would be all kinds of other consequences, but it would be helpful to some degree for, for in terms of, in terms of stopping the spread of the virus. Right. Now, uh, again, I'm not, not saying that that's advisable, but, when it comes to the virus itself, can't blame anybody for saying, I don't want to go there. I, 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 my only recommendation to people is if you're going to go there, that it doesn't make sense to say, I'm going to drive or get there some other way rather than flying. Well, Southwest Bend is getting ready to notify workers of possible furloughs. This according to the Dallas Business Journal, citing internal messages from unions representing Southwest employees to those employees. The journal says Southwest is getting ready to issue what are called WARN notices. Ben, as you know, that's an acronym that stands for Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification. Now, just because a company issues the notice doesn't mean it has to furlough anyone. I mean, very clearly it doesn't want to. It's just that it can't furlough workers without first warning them. So this gives Southwest the flexibility, the option to make that move later. Now, the news here is just that Southwest is even considering furloughs after a half century of never furloughing even one worker. It's big news. Absolutely. And I don't know if it's as big as if they ever decide to charge for bags, but it is really big news. And I'll tell you, Seth, I saw Gary Kelly on TV a week and a half or two weeks ago saying that what they really needed was a 10% reduction in wages across the board 
of Southwest, including to their unionized groups, so that they wouldn't need to furlough anyone. And within hours, the Southwest flight attendants put out a, a press release saying, we're not interested in, in cutting any of our wages that we've negotiated over the last 10 years. And so I'm wondering if this warrant notice is sort of a reaction to that, that Southwest hasn't furloughed people. They don't want to. They came up with a way they could do something to not furlough everyone. But if everybody doesn't go along with that way, they might be forced into this. Yeah, that that's likely. Let's hope that all it is. That's all it is, is a negotiating technique. Uh, and I would think that the deals with each work group would be contingent upon getting deals with everyone else, I'm sure, because otherwise there'd be an incentive for one group to say, no, we're not going along with it and and, uh, and see what happens. I uh, obviously have no idea in terms of the details, but I'm sure that's what they're negotiating is, hey, if you take 10% and if all the other groups take it or whatever the final number ends up being, uh, then then it would kick in and then they would uh, hopefully avoid those furloughs. Ben, Airline Weekly last week talked about what it called Emirates' heavy metal muddle. Talking about heavy metal, not the not the kind I thought you meant at the beginning, right? But, uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the wide-body aircraft uh, said the airline is a jumbo problem. In other words, its planes are way too big. I mean, look, A380s looked shaky even way before COVID-19. There were all kinds of problems with the economics of that plane regardless of how much people like to fly them. But now you've got this all wide body airline and not just any wide bodies. You've got those A380s. I mean, lots of them and triple seven dash 300 yards. And now triple seven dash eights and dash nines coming. Those are big planes, right? Those, those, and I know, you know, they have, they have some smaller ones, but those are really big wide bodies. And in some cases you're talking, you know, 400 something people, even if it's not quite the A380 on board, one of those Ben, Obviously, the world has changed in ways that are unhelpful to airlines like the Arabian Gulf carriers, beginning to an extent with lower oil prices for a half decade now, which slowed the inflow of investment into the region. And obviously, things are not going to get any better anytime soon, really, for most airlines, certainly for those airlines. But here's my long-term question. 15 years from now, we look back and see which of these as the aberration, the current period when they've really lost their luster and are kind of on their heels or the roughly call it 2000 or 2005 to 2015 period when in some ways they dominated global aviation, which of those ends up being the exception? That's a great question, Seth. I really hope that the exception is right now. Uh, That doesn't mean that that will be the exception. However, let's think about what these airlines did. They changed the way people traveled in real, real ways. I mean, they made the Middle East, essentially Dubai, Doha, Abu Dhabi, they made those hubs, the, all the, the Middle Eastern carriers I'm talking about, obviously Emirates yeah. is Dubai, right? But yeah. they, ma- they made those hubs essentially replace London Heathrow, Frankfurt, Charles de Gaulle as the primary way to connect to India, to um, some other places in the Middle East, to Asia, if you're going that direction from the U.S., right? And in the process, you know, they became the major lift in and out of India to the world, uh, which is a huge country. 
if China were more open, they would do the same thing in China because the geography is just so much better. And they needed those big planes to make that happen. They were taking big chunks of people on really, really high volume routes in the most efficient way possible. And it's hard to think, it's hard for me to accept that the world won't go back to a world when we're flying and doing business around the world and the world is connected in a real strong economic way. I would, I'm not yet willing to acquiesce, Seth, to say that COVID is going to change our life to where we only sort of live in the six blocks around us, right? <laughs> Even though that may be true now. So I guess what I'll say is I think it's possible that the 2005 to 2015 could be the aberration because they, they're not able to sort of support these massive wide body fleets anymore with the number of people who are going to travel. And I've said from the beginning of this crisis that long haul travel is going to be the longest to come back because that has the highest sort of risk attached to it. And the easier way to say, let's just do it by Zoom, right? Or something like that. Yeah. That, you know, it's, it's got all that to it. And so there's a very real chance that that these airlines will maybe have to collapse in some way, or maybe there can't be three of them. Um, and there just isn't as much travel to go around. I don't think it'll go back to where people would rather connect in Heathrow. I don't think that's going to change, but I worry the demand maybe not be strong enough for a long while. But what I really hope is that they can, you know, A380s aside, can make all those triple sevens work 10 years from now. Yeah, and we should say for the record that, of course, they have their detractors, the U.S. big three airlines, especially at times others around the world have accused them of existing based on state aid and all of that. And to some degree, uh, there's no question there's, there's truth to that. They wouldn't have gotten to where they were without supportive governments. But uh, as a force in global aviation, there's no denying where they were. You know, you mentioned, Ben, uh, Zoom. Just curious. You're somebody who d- works on projects around the world. What percentage of your personal and I'm, I'm asking not because i'm interested in you personally but just as a proxy for for people you know for other people who do, do, do work globally what percentage of your of, of what would have been trips are now zoom calls for you would you say i mean very briefly i'd say uh 98 yeah, <laughs> yeah you're just, it's, it's yeah, huge you're just i mean i mean i'm i'm as willing as anyone to get on an airplane right now Right. I will wear my mask. I will behave properly. Right. I will. Uh, I'll keep my distance from people at the airports. I'll use clear to touchlessly go through. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll do. Um, thank you, Claire, for being a sponsor. Right. And I'll do I'll, I'll do all those things. It's not like I'm going to just pretend the virus doesn't exist, but I will absolutely get on a plane. And yet there's nowhere for me to go. Yeah. Right. The boards I serve on are meeting virtually now and uh, the business I'm doing, even the people that I would meet aren't necessarily all in the same place. They're in other places because they've had to disperse somewhat. So the reality is whether it's Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Skype or pick your platform, that's where business is being done, at least for me right now, everywhere. 
Now there is, there are a meeting or two. There, there's one meeting I've been to where I flew, and I hope to be going to another meeting in December. So I can't say it's a hundred percent, but it's well above ninety. Time bed for our first listener question. Fred in Connecticut writes: I understand and agree with you regarding passengers that want to fly should wear masks. The Washington Post tallies over 900 individuals who have been banned for not wearing masks. Will they be welcomed back when the pandemic ends? Or are they getting a lifetime ban? I see Alaska Airlines said the banned passengers, quote, won't be able to fly with us as long as our mask policy remains in effect, unquote. What do you guys think should be the consequence of not wearing a mask? Uh, death penalty, right? But just kidding. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, and look, and there are people who say, look, you are you are exposing other people to a potentially deadly virus. I don't mean to make light of it, but look, obviously uh, at some point here, it's, it's memories. I don't want to say they're short, but um, I, I can't imagine that all these people are going to be, be, be banned from airlines forever. Um, although they s- certainly should be, I mean, in, in my opinion, banned right now because it's, you know, this, this virus is still going around. And at some point in the future, even if they're jerks, the reality will be that the fact that they're jerks is no longer a, of deadly consequence to other people. What, what do you think, Ben? I, I agree. I think that stated or not, airlines are thinking of the bans they're doing as a real deterrent to misbehavior, right? Don't do this or you're not going to be able to fly on us again. But they're thinking that, you know, while while the mask requirement is in place, and there's going to be a time in the future where you're not required to wear a mask on board. And at that point, my guess is these people will no longer be on a no-fly list for those airlines. I would also guess, though, Seth, that for the rest of our lives, at least, if not my son's life and your daughter's life, too, that we're going to see more people on planes with masks forever than we used to. Absolutely. Even if they're not required, it's not going to be odd to see some people on the plane with a mask on. Because who wants to catch a cold? Who right, wants to catch exactly the flu, right? right. And, and so, no, I I, uh, I think we've talked about it before. In Asia, anybody who's traveled there or to or from there, certainly within Asia, you see people wearing masks on planes, uh, on public transportation all the time. Not everybody, but, there, but you always see a handful of people doing it. And that was something that sort of always stuck out to me. And I think to most people from other parts of the world, when you go there and you think, well, isn't you would think back then to yourself, ah, isn't that isn't that overkill, right? But the reality was that they had dealt with SARS and all the rest of it in the past. And I think that those were people just deciding what I just said, right? I just, I just don't want to get sick. They understand that the sort yeah. of immediate uh, critical threat has passed, but but who who wants to get sick? And um, I I could imagine myself I, – I, I mean, I don't know. I, haven't, I This is something I haven't really thought through. But, but yeah, I don't know that the, you know – immediately after I get the vaccine and, and the world hopefully starts to return to normal that that at, at times I won't do that anyway for uh, for for that reason and I'll tell you in my uh, day job here I'm in Harrisburg I work for for next star TV stations for uh, it's ABC 27 news here I, I I did an analysis recently looking at early season flu data just uh people now the flu season officially the CDC defines it as starting sort of the flu year, October 1st. And I looked at data here in Pennsylvania and just the regular old flu cases are down a little bit this year compared to, it was the lowest year I could find in recent years since the CDC began tracking things exactly the way they do here in Pennsylvania. And that was uh, 
unsurprising, right? Because all, all of the thin, I talked to the, uh, to, to the secretary of health here about that, but all the things that people are doing to prevent the, to prevent COVID-19, the masks and the social distancing, distancing and all the rest of it, uh, also prevent the flu. Of course, there's also a flu shot, which people can get, uh, but, but there you go, right? It, it, it's just, I think something that we're all thinking about more now and knock on wood, I haven't caught as caught a cold recently as much as uh you know just sort of the, the regular routine things uh because i'm just not around as many people and i wear masks right and 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 that'll always be uh on 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 my mind and i think on the minds of others i think that's right and i've got so many masks seth that when they're not needed anymore <laughs> i'm gonna want to carry one just for utilization Absolutely. (laughs) Well, passengers behaving badly is next. But first, we want to thank Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Hotel Connections is a Fortune 1000 company and procures more than 30 million rooms annually on behalf of their clients. Hotel Connections monitors and tracks room utilization to ensure that you get the most out of the rooms you buy and that you only pay for what was actually consumed. For travel, logistics, hotels, transport, and technology solutions, Visit HotelConnections.com. That's HotelConnections.com. Time now for passengers behaving badly. A brawl broke out on a Spirit Airlines flight. No surprise there. Uh, From Newark to San Juan, it started at least partly because a woman. Ben, you want to guess what the woman was doing or more precisely wasn't doing? I'll wait on that, Seth. (laughs) (laughs) Here's here's a hit. No, 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 no. This one, no. The next story, I've got another story for you that you don't want to get. I don't even want to read it. But this one, it uh, it relates to what we were just talking about. Not wearing your mask. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Seems cops in San Juan actually tased her when the flight arrived there because you know, things were just out of control. They took her into custody. CBS News first reported all this. You can find what else cell phone video of it online. Now, as I said, cops arrested her. The one man did tell CBS uh, a different passenger on board might have been at fault for things getting bad. It seems there was other ugliness to racial and homophobic slurs. Look, I'm not going to try to sort it all out. Just ridiculous. All of it. Meanwhile, a man arrested in Detroit last month for allegedly urinating on a female passenger has been identified as Daniel Chalmers, a Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina area pastor. The Winston-Salem wow. Journal says, quote, multiple media reports identify Chalmers as a pastor who leads, I'm not making any of this up, who leads Love Wins Ministries in Raleigh and a staff member at Catch the Fire, Raleigh-Durham Church. I just report the news, Ben. <laughs> Two amazing stories, Seth. The, the fact that not wearing masks, I mean, can we talked about it getting you banned from airlines. That's a logical consequence. Should it get to the point where people are screaming and, and turning it into racial slurs and having tasing? There's a lot of bad behavior in that story. And it who knows how it really started when you sort of read all this stuff going on and who were the real instigators of this. And I hope they all have some consequence to that. And the Daniel Chalmers story was just what a, what a hypocritical kind of story that is, isn't it? I'm sure that that made some people chuckle in a way, even though it's a real disgusting kind of act that that guy did. Absolutely. Well, why is one airline so desperate to retire a bunch of rather new planes that only rather recently got its hands on? And would a CRJ by uh, any other name smell as sweet? 
More Shakespeare and more Airlines Confidential is next. Travel with confidence with Clear. Touchless, fast, safer airport travel. Clear's touchless identity verification is available in 34 airports nationwide, moving you quickly and without crowds through airport security. Enroll today at www.clearme.com slash airlines. That's www.clearme.com slash airlines. The Airlines Confidential Podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. I want to go back to the mailbag, but first, Ben, I mentioned it in the intro that, you know, I look at your resume and I see Northwest Airlines, Continental Airlines, TACA, obviously Spirit, all the rest of it, U.S. Airways, of course. But then right there in near the beginning, shoehorned between two of those is, well, I remember there used to be this thing on Sesame Street. I mean, it might still be there, but one of these things is not like the other. There was this <laughs> song, right? And, and there's, and, and not that it's wildly outside of, I mean, I know you started off with a paper route. We've joked about that, but, you know, but UPS, United Parcel Service, obviously different from the rest of them because it's cargo airline, an airline certainly, but a cargo airline. Wondering if when you did that, if you had any thought of sticking with cargo or if that was always just to learn the cargo business and how formative that was. I wonder if, you know, that sort of that short time there, and I saw it was, it was fairly short, if, if that matters to you still, if you have memories of that that inform the way you look at the passenger airline industry, because of course, passenger airlines, most of them carry some amount of cargo. Well, it absolutely does. I enjoyed my relatively short time at UPS and I went to UPS. UPS hired a couple of people from the airline industry. Me, they hired a guy named Jim Compton, who at one point was the vice chairman of United Airlines after that, right? And that's how Jim and I met each other and then worked together at Continental, actually. But they hired us because because UPS was forced into a discounted pricing regime. And they said, we need to hire people from the airline industry to figure out how to how to make money when prices are being discounted. So the whole idea of sort of my yield management background and such was interesting to them. And to, to tell you why I'm not why I was not there for very long. Let me tell you the story about when I left, when I literally the week that I left, my boss at the time brought me a Fortune magazine, right? This was in the early 90s. So there were still magazines that people looked at, right? (laughs) And it was sort of best and worst places to work in the United States. And UPS was, I don't remember exactly where, but they were in the top five places to work in America. And the place I had told him I was going to work, Continental Airlines, was in the bottom five. (laughs) And and he showed me this and he says, Ben, are you sure you're making a good choice? (laughs) Which is like, was a really polite way for him to say, what the heck are you doing? And his name was Rick. And I remember saying, Rick, where do you think there's more opportunity for me to make a difference? And that's what I said. and, and, And I felt okay about that. And what I've done since leaving UPS, I was certainly benefited from my time at UPS, but my work at Continental, at US Airways and the and TACA and the great turnaround and 
and category changing that happened at Spirit, all of those things wouldn't have happened at I stayed. I can say right now, that's a better business to be in, though, that's for sure. Yeah, and not to bet you didn't mention this podcast. This is clearly the highlight of your career. Oh, right? of course. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that goes without saying. That's why you didn't mention it. Back to the mailbag now. Our friend Joe from Tampa writes, uh, number one, he always tries to bet. We talked earlier about airlines selling seats, buy one, get one free. Joe always tries to get a buy one, get one free answer, but he asks a good question, so why not? Uh, number one, why is Alaska so urgent to retire the Airbus A320 family they inherited from uh, Virgin America? when most of the Boeing fleet was made in the late 90s to early 2000s. If the uncertainty of the 737 MAX future is still up in the air, why couldn't they just retire the old 737s and go to Airbus? And number two, are you supposed to call CRJs ARJs since Airbus took (laughs) over Bombardier Aviation? Ben, I'll answer the second question. I want to hear you talk about the first. Number second one, actually, Airbus did not take over the CRJ program. Airbus took over the C-Series program, which is what used to be called the the, 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 the CS100, CS300. Now Airbus did rename that. In fact, the, the A220. The CRJ stayed at Airbus for the uh, Bombardier. Bombardier, rather, for the time being. Yeah. So they sold off also the the like the Dash 8, right? The uh the, the Q400 turboprops uh to another company. They sort of they kind of liquidated. I mean, it wasn't their intention at the beginning, but sort of liquidated Bombardier Aviation. The CRJs actually went to Mitsubishi, which uh, had been developing already the MRJ, Mitsubishi Regional Jet. Uh, I don't think the CRJs are going to be renamed MRJ. There was, of course, an ARJ in the past. That was the Avro, the the, the old four-engine uh, regional jet, sort of an early version regional, which and they were wonderful to fly. I mean, terribly inefficient. It was just four engines on a little little plane. The last time I remember being on one, Ben was on Aegean uh, in Greece. I flew from Athens to Bucharest on an ARJ in 2007, and they were great planes to fly on. Just, I mean, just the horrible economics. So uh, for you, Ben, uh, why is Alaska getting rid of the A320s rather than the 737s? Alaska, obviously, based in Seattle, but Boeing is right there. We know that Uh, the the optics, as they say so much nowadays, would probably be bad in terms of going with Airbus. But, you know, free country and they they have to do what makes sense for the airline. Why why do you think they're doing that? Well, I think that. Alaska bought Virgin because they wanted the real estate in San Francisco and L.A. And they bought them despite the fact that they had the Airbus plane, not because they had the Airbus. And Alaska has been a Boeing company for a long time. They've got a lot more 737s than than Virgin had A320s. And that airplane just didn't fit with what they are. If you think about it, when Southwest bought AirTran, they had all those 717s and they made a deal to, with Delta to sort of get rid of the 717s. When they bought AirTran, they wanted a lot of what AirTran had, but they didn't want that plane. And I think that's kind of where Alaska was. I don't think, I think there was a question in people's minds whether they would keep both airplanes or whether they would get rid of the Airbus airplane. There's no question in my mind that they were going to not make the Airbus sort of their primary airplane. Look, they have 41 320s and 10 321 Neos. 
So that's 51 airplanes, but they've got 79 737-900s, 61 737-800s, 12 737-900s. You get my point. Then they have yeah, 700s, so that, so 700 frame. It's yeah. just a much, much bigger fleet. And the complication of two fleets when you have to have two sets of parts, mechanics trained for both airplanes. Do you isolate stations or do you put parts and mechanics for both planes at every station? Um, pilot training and flow through. It's incredibly complicated for an airline, especially the size of Alaska, to have two different planes of the same size category, right? You might decide that if one's a lot smaller and does things your other ones can't, or is a lot bigger and can't do the other ones you can't. But to have the 737 and the A320, if you're Alaska size, just doesn't make sense. And and Alaska has been a Boeing company and is going to be a Boeing company forever, I think. And then COVID-19, I'm sure, just forced the issue because the airline had to shrink quickly and the Airbus fleet was probably commensurate with how much the airline needed to, to shrink anyway. So you had to scale with Yeah, the, and with so shrink and become and- more efficient. And you couldn't shrink the 737 fleet and become more efficient. You would have yeah. just – you would just have still had a mix of two airplanes because they didn't need to shrink as much as all their 737. So you're exactly right. It was a convenient way to sort of resize themselves in COVID quickly and end up with a more efficient fleet. Yeah, with the Southwest deal for AirTran, it was funny after after not very long, it was almost hard to see what was left of AirTran, right? What Southwest about because 717s went away, but Atlanta kind of went away too. You know, it, it shrank that it had really big uh, hopes for Atlanta and it just never really panned out. Uh, Delta defended its turf rather well. And so they did the industry, I think a, the rest of the industry, a big favor by essentially eliminating the AirTran as a, as a competitor. You know, you know, a good competitor, I, but, yeah. I don't know if this is true, but I hope it's true, which is I heard someone say once that within Delta, when they had, after they had bought AirTran, they referred to Atlanta as Atlanta Stan. <laughs> and, and, and again, I don't know if that's true, but I really hope it's true. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great story. Well, do you have a question for us? You can call 305-379-7429 and record a question. We'll play it on the air. You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. Finer wine is next, but first we want to thank Seabury Capital. Seabury Capital is a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, maritime and financial services, and technologies. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge, along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology, and solutions, as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision-makers in industry, finance, and government. And isn't that important now? Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. That's seabury, S-E-A-B-U-R-Y, capital.com. Beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for Fine or Wine. We listen to an actual customer complaint. And then we talk about whether a complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Ben, you have a complaint. Of course, Seth. Rakeem of Little Rock, Arkansas is complaining about Frontier. Rakeem writes, space was very cramped and the cancellation policy prohibited me and my family from obtaining another flight out at the group rate we got for the initial flight. Additionally, the baggage policy is poor due to high pricing as compared to other airlines. Yeah. 
Uh, am I missing something here, or or uh, what? What do you think, Ben? Fine or wine? I, I've, got my, I've got my. I've got my. You're the judge, but I've got my my. Uh, I almost my wanted to read this whining. It was. Such a, <laughs> it was. This is such a wine. I yeah. mean, come on. You got the low fare. You got the great group rate because the space was kind of cramped. That's what low cost carriers do. That's the reason they can keep your fare lower than other airlines. Just like when you carpool, everybody splits the gas when there's more people to share, (laughs) split the gas, right? That works. And they didn't change the bag fee after you bought your ticket. You knew what that was. This to me is someone who maybe had buyer's remorse that said, well, maybe what I thought was a great deal wasn't so good a great a deal, but it wasn't because of anything Frontier changed. It was because of maybe a misexpectation that Rakeem had. And in that sense, it's just a wine. Maybe Rakeem needs to do a little more research before he decides what he really wants out of his flights. And when he says high pricing for bags compared to other airlines. I mean, compared to Southwest. Yeah. But, (laughs) but, you know, I I think most people understand that there, look, there are three of these ultra low cost carriers in the U S three big ones. I mean, you've got sun country also, but, and and they're all, the policies are similar, right? It's not the, the bag fees are all within a few dollars of each other. If you're flying frontier, spirit or allegiant uh and and uh and look obviously sure you could end up in basic economy on on united also or another airline but it, it, it's just yeah that that's just you get what you pay for when when you fly frontier i i agree uh, and southwest flies to little rock yeah exactly so if you and don't want to not- pay bag fees you can do that Right. And if you're a heavy packer, look, I mean, do the bag math, right? There there are people for whom it makes more sense. If you're, if you're going to check two bags, fly Southwest. You're, you're usually going to save money. People who are – I mean, the criticism of Southwest among some people is that the heavy packers are being subsidized by the light packers, right? The people who care about certain things are being – subsidized by people who don't care about those things but if you're going to take advantage of all that uh then then sure sometimes that will be your best deal usually on average the base fare will be higher and then you're not going to have as many as the uh, of the other fees and that's going to be true to varying degrees of different airlines around the world isn't it great that we have choices yes and if you're a family of four and if you're a family of four and are going to check eight bags you absolutely should take southwest absolutely right i don't i don't know who would want to have eight bags with them but if you do uh that is absolutely your or you or you can make a business of just carrying of transporting bags by flying southwest because it's cheaper sometimes to fly southwest and check bags than it is to ship the bags, right? So just fly around the country, <laughs> pack light, get other. I mean, you'd have to you'd have to put it to get the the logistics of that, right? The marketing would be tough, but if you could figure out ways to uh, to be a mule, basically, right? Yeah, uh, rebirth of those kind of courier services, personal couriers, right? Absolutely, fly around the country for free. Uh, just get people to buy you tickets on Southwest. Uh, and, and now I, I shouldn't advocate because you, then you're, yeah, you're carrying a bag that had that you didn't pack yourself and that has been with you at all times. But anyway, we're just, this is all theoretical airline economics, right? So on final approach, now that does it for Airlines Confidential this week, please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seat backs and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429. Or you can email us, questions at airlinesconfidential.com. Or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website from the Airlines Confidential Studios. I'm Seth Kaplan. 
And I love that sort of passive-aggressive way we made fun of Southwest there. I'm Ben Baldanza. We'll talk to what, you soon. What, what are you talking about, Ben? Who was making fun of us? <laughs> Great airline. They've been right more than they've been wrong over the years. but Absolutely. <laughs> but, but not all the time. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.